Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by KeepKey, the easy, safe, and simple way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and many other digital assets. There's no time like the present to protect yourself from hackers, malware, and viruses. Visit KeepKey.com to order your secure hardware wallet today and use the code HUMANIST10 for a limited time 10% discount. And before I begin today's episode, a quick life update. I'm currently writing a book, uh, which is exciting. It's about our exponential and fragile context and how crypto can help us smooth the transition through this digital revolution. Uh, so I'm not sure on the title yet, uh, but I'll be posting updates through Medium and on Twitter. Um, so check me out there and hoping to have it done by the end of this year. So I'll let you know also through the podcast when that happens. Uh, cool. So let's get to today's episode. Okay, so today's episode is with Lawrence Lundy, who's a partner and head of research at Outlier Ventures. And we talked about a variety of things, and I just want to kind of pull out three big points. The first is we talk about their and his convergence thesis, um, which states that IoT, AI, and blockchain will converge on top of a data substrate. And I mostly agree with it. And just two, two pieces of that. The first is that, A, it's good to remember that this is all mediated by trust as a primitive. Um, and so you, you both need to trust the cleanliness of the data through the IoT device. The, the AI essentially creates a trusted conclusion given a set of data. And then blockchain clearly provides these trustless environments for ledgers and computation. And so trust is the key thing throughout this. Um, trust in the data substrate that exists. Um, and the second piece here is that, just a reminder that as everything trusts each other, then things begin to converge, as, as Lawrence says, and this is kind of a key piece of the future. And so, you know, when I say, hey, we're in kind of a fragile time, given massive converging exponential technological change, the second word there is converging. And converging means that as everything trusts everything else, things both go faster and they start to converge and co-evolve with each other in these interesting emergent ways. Um, so it's tough to say essentially what the long-term result of IoT, AI, and blockchain convergence is. So yeah, that's just to say convergence is a likely part of our future and it's mediated by trust and uh, it'll make things faster and co-evolving and emergent. Um, so the second piece here is something that we talk about is um, about the different kinds of venture capital allocation, and we place it in the form of competitive leverage. I think that this is just an important and powerful framework to place on your mind, where you say, "Hey, let's think about um, each of these different capital allocation mechanisms, like VCs or ICOs or whatever, as agents within a system, and they are agents that are competing and co-evolving with each other." And and the question just to ask here is just to a abstract to the level of the system, and b to ask, "Hey." How do they compete with each other? Um, who wins in which contexts, etc. So I think that doing that kind of evolutionary biology mindset towards different kinds of non-biological agents like capital allocation mechanisms is a powerful framework. Uh, and then the third piece here I want to say is 
the fun part at the end of this episode is Lawrence and I just talk about like his life and like you know a little bit of like humans and crypto stuff. This is something that I want to do more of, which is say, hey, I talk a lot about systems, but um, not that much about people. But everyone is a person, and it's awesome, and everybody's chill, um, or most people are chill. <laughs> Lawrence is chill, um, and so you know it's great because Lawrence talks about his political background, his AI background, and how that kind of brought him into crypto as a way to decentralize power. And it's just it's fun to talk about those kinds of things and not to concentrate on the systems the entire time um and so i like that and i hope to do more kinds of humans and crypto and humans stuff kind of in general in the future okay so with that uh, enjoy today's episode with lawrence hello everyone my name is reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of creating a humanist blockchain future in this podcast, we take a systems-thinking approach to doing good in the world, and we have a couple different series that focus on different system scopes, and today we're focusing on Series A, Macro Systems, where we ask the question, where are we, as society, headed? And today, I'm very happy to introduce Lawrence Lundy to the show. Lawrence is a partner and the head of research at Outlier Ventures, which is a venture platform that invests in the intersection of blockchain, AI, and IoT. Lawrence, thanks for being on the show, and welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to chat. Um, so I guess, and there's a couple different strands that we're going to kind of pull on today. Um, and the first one that I'd like to ask about is actually this um, kind of this thesis or this idea that you produced recently um, coming out of your the research that you've done um, about what you'd call like convergence. So could you kind of talk about what convergence is and how it relates to blockchain? Sure. Um, so the convergence... Um, the thesis, as uh, as we spoke about before uh, before the podcast, not really a thesis, um, more than kind of an idea, mm-hmm. um, comes out of work that really has been sort of I don't know four or five years in the making, sort of percolating around, but really sort of coalesced and 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 we came up with a a real um, concrete. Um, thesis about two years ago, Outlier, um, which originally was called Blockchain Enabled Convergence. And that was a paper that we published um, kind of, yeah, I'd say two, two years ago or so, which we refined um, back at the beginning of this year, um, which we called the Convergence Ecosystem. And broadly speaking, it's it's our investment strategy and it's um, what um, we invest in Outlier Ventures. And it's very, very simple, actually. Um, really, it r- talks about the new data value chain, right? So um, if we think about all industries and data um, being, being considered an industry, it needs to be produced, distributed, and then consumed. And the way in which we see sort of the emerging value chain around data is that data needs to be produced and it's being produced in large amounts um, driven predominantly by the internet of things and um, so-called iot and we see that at the sort of at the bottom right that's where the data enters the ecosystem and then we see blockchains broadly um, distributed ledgers and other um, new sort of decentralized innovations and um, to be a new distribution layer um, to to distribute, to secure, to manage, um, and to uh, to record a lot of the data that's been collected by the IoT. And once once it's been collected, once it's been distributed, we see it going into sort of the, the highest level, and that's where the convergence with artificial intelligence comes in. And it's a very fluffy and woolly term, and we know that it doesn't really mean much, 
Um, but what we're really talking about is is consumption and automation of data um, in all its um, varied ways from automation, which can include smart contracts, but it can just include traditional um, sort of big data tooling. So really convergence is this, this kind of zone between IoT and, and blockchains, and then this zone between blockchains and AI. Um, but broadly, the macro trend is this new emerging data value chain that uh, that we want to invest and partner with startups and projects that are that are building and executing in there. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's it's thinking about you know data as the new oil or something like that, and how data flows to the systems. And you have both the, the creation of data, um, and which is the production through IoT and various things like that, and then the distribution of that data through things like blockchains um, and other kinds of databases. And then you have the consumption of that data through AI and other kinds of machine learning platforms. Um, so that makes sense. And I think an interesting thing with convergence uh, that I think about is when I talk about you know the state of of the world today and how we have we're kind of fragile from massive converging exponential technological change. Um, the second word there, or the second adjective, is converging. And there's this weird, uh, you know, instinct that you know, in some ways, all the things start to collapse onto each other in a weird way, where it's like mm. the, the things because you have because we want less friction, because we want more interoperability, then all of these things start to yeah, kind of play in the same realms or to be able to, to connect with each other in various ways. Um, do you kind of, I guess, when you think about you know, convergence, do you think about it in that way? Or, or what are the things, how do you think about how things are going to converge over time, I guess? Yeah, well, it comes from sort of the interdisciplinary thinking, really. Um, and it comes from working with enterprises over the years um, and, and governments as well to some extent. But seeing that everybody had a very siloed approach to how they thought about these technologies. Um, and so you would have a, a department that would look into you know, blockchain or a department that would look into artificial intelligence. And then there would be a report written um, by one business unit or there would be um, you know, a government commission set up to look into one specific technology. And um, there was always a thing, there was always a, a thought that you are never going to capture the full scope of change by just looking at one of the technologies in isolation um, and that there was a far bigger macro trends um, occurring. And, and that's data. That, that's kind of the, the nub of it. We think it's data. So in any sort of um, new discussion around um, new business models and new economic models, you really got to think about how data is being used. And it was... It was looking around and seeing that nobody seemed to have this interdisciplinary thinking. Um, and that's not for, for want of trying. And there's plenty of um, wonderful academics and wonderful um, books uh, and, and sort of people out there that are trying to consider this in a sort of very holistic way. Benjamin Bratton um, springs to mind when thinking around this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that institutions, both from corporate um, as well as from startups, as well as from governments, um, are not incentivized to think in, in such broad um, terms and such wide scope. And so you just see a lot less of that thinking going on. Um, and that is kind of what we wanted to do with, with, with convergence, which we could have very easily come in with uh, a model that said we want to invest in new capital market infrastructure, right? And lots of, uh, you know, decentralized tooling, we want to invest in that. But actually, what we saw is this is big converging um, sort of trend, uh, numerous technologies, but also um, 
but also sort of the broad trend toward distribution and decentralization across the political realm as well as the economic realm um, and, and the technological realm. And we wanted to sort of put a vision out there and say that this is the, our vision of a future. This is where we see things um, heading. And uh, if you kind of uh, agree or you believe in this mission as well, then um, we want to work with you. So that, that was kind of our framing and why we, we wanted to put this out there. Got it, got it. Yeah, I think, and the funny thing that you just touched on there is that in some ways, convergence and decentralization are paradoxical with each other. Um, but in fact, I, I think that if you kind of synthesize them, that, that they're actually, it's possible to say that something can be both converging, everything is converging around data, and um, kind of the decentralization distribution allows for um, that convergence to occur. So so when you when you think about Comparing your um, thesis to kind of other people in the blockchain and crypto VC space, how do you think about it as compared to others? How is it similar to people? How is it different than others? Um, kind of compare and contrast those theses. I think that the first thing to say is we are right at the very beginning of this S curve um, of this so-called blockchain um, industry. So we're right at the, the very experimentation phase. And depending on the frame that you want to use, whether it's an S-curve or whether it's the Carlotta Perez um, surge cycle, which I know placeholder like to use. Um, I think we're, we're very much in the beginning. So it's worth pre-seeing anything that follows by saying, we don't know. <laughs> um, and much of this is guesswork and it's assumptions and, and it's um, and it's a vision of a future, but we don't really have enough data points to, to know. So with that in mind, the one thing that makes um, or we're able to do in this quite nascent industry and um, a function of the fact of tokens, which we may or may not get into, um, is that we can have a thesis that is a long way off. Right. We can have a 10-year view because um, in this industry as a uh, venture capital firm um, or venture capital platform, you do not need to invest and see returns um, every year. And you certainly don't have to um, guarantee 5x, 10x to your um, investors and, and hold you know a project for 7, 10 years. In fact, you can invest in a very, very ambitious project that might not see um, returns or might not see you know, scalable uh, market infrastructure for, for five to 10 years out. But it means that we can take that bet because liquidity is, uh, you know, can be one, two, three years out. So it means we could take different types of bets. Now, there are obviously trade-offs with that, um, but it's, it means that this web th so-called Web3 stack or new um, convergence ecosystem means that as a capital provider, you can take different types of um, risks. Yeah. And and that means that, 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 that the way in which our thesis is different is I think that it's it's longer term. Um, you sort of see maybe one confirmation out there um, really making some incredible investments in, in, in tooling that's needed today, yeah. right, to build, build this infrastructure and it, and it is needed and it's really, really important. Um, and you might see a, a, a placeholder a thesis, which uh, I think, you know, having spoken to Chris and, and Chris contributed um, very kindly to, to part of the convergence paper. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of alignment in the way in which they're thinking around uh, this sort of new Web3 and paradigm and, and how we are. So I see a lot of crossover in the way they think about things, especially the importance of governance. And that's mm -hmm. something that um, 
that'd be good to touch on later because it's, it's something very close to my heart. Um, so I think there's there's a kind of a chasm um, between in in the way in which I see sort of venture capital or, or uh, capital being deployed in this market at the moment. Um, it's at the very near term because we need to uh, either invest in infrastructure to be built today or we want quick returns, um, which we, we can also get today and maybe not the last six months. But broadly speaking, um, the market is a new asset class for which um, you know it's a pretty good way to make money if you're a hedge fund. Yeah. Um, versus a few of the longer term players, um, the value add players like ourselves, and I'd also put placeholder in that group and, um, and a few others, I think that are look, can afford to look further further down the line and that's uh that's good that's healthy right you want different theses you want different uh, time frames you want different and um, skill sets uh all sort of taking different bets because that's how this market will grow yeah yeah i like that that uh, perspective that when people talk about bubbles in a negative sense they're like oh it's a bubble bubbles are by nature bad it's like well actually bubbles can create innovation and you actually want there to be lots of kind of stuff thrown on the wall and then depending is some stuff will work and some stuff won't especially when you're at the beginning um of some kind of trajectory here hey so, and, and, hmm? and 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 yeah exactly and there's a real uniqueness to this market um which is that not only are there different investors taking different risks, there are, um, you know, retail investors or people that put money into token sales and token generation events or so-called ICOs that are looking at very different features from projects. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, um, maybe, and for good or for bad, I don't necessarily talk about the specific um, issues of the project, but, you know, EOS, is very unlikely to have ever raised that much money um, from traditional sources uh, or, or raised money at all. Who knows? Um, but EOS has raised a tremendous amount of money. You have. Um, We're going to get a lot more. of EOS um, people that are going to hate on us on Twitter. Watch out. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, that's the thing. I don't see it necessarily being a bad thing, but it, I think, I don't think anyone could disagree with the fact that there are lots of projects out there that would not have traditionally either wanted um, or received traditional um <laughs> investment now that's that's a really positive thing because um you could argue and i think i think it's fair to say vcs um or traditional investors um overvalue certain attributes in projects and mm-hmm. um, i would say they probably uh, overvalue i wouldn't say overvalue team but team is very very uh, critically important um as are as a sort of traction right traditional metrics that you can measure you know user growth rates or um, you know business partnership signed whereas in the, the the sort of the token space what's overvalued are technicals and what's really undervalued are sort of go-to-market right relationship with with regulators and have they looked at the value chain and understood exactly how they can add value and capture value and that's really undervalued so what you see are projects that might have traditionally been uh, been overvalued um, in, in the sort of traditional investor space um, no, that don't get too much funding. And you could say that's inefficient allocation of resource, um, of capital, versus this new market where there are lots of, you know, very technical projects that wouldn't have previously got funded and, but, you know, maybe not be able to get a clear go- sort of marketing strategy or a very clear customer acquisition strategy that have got lots of money now. Both, in my view, are inefficient allocation of capital, but they might end up with very different projects getting funded. And, you know, that's exciting because who knows? You've got projects like Ripple going out and acquiring 
um, <laughs> other businesses, uh, even though, you know, who knows what XRP's uh, use is in the system. Um, but it might not matter because they have a fund where they can go and buy other technology or, or acquire people um, because they have so much money. So you have a really interesting new dynamic at play, uh, which I think is healthy. Um, and I, I broadly think that all experimentation is positive. And, and, and sort of as somebody that sort of wants to trust individuals, I think that we should give individuals as much um, responsibility uh, uh, and maybe not as much capital as they want, but certainly <laughs> as much resource as possible yep. to be able to, to, to execute on, on their vision. And we're seeing that in this market, but it is unusual because we're seeing things that wouldn't have previously get funded. Funded. Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that there's, yeah, you can kind of think of them as new kinds of, yeah, capital allocation schemes or what have you, venture capital, and then these new kinds of crowdfunding. And as you say, they can be, you know, kind of organisms that begin to co-evolve with each other and exist in a competitive environment with each other where traditional projects might not might want to go one path might want to go the other path um and but giving them those options allows uh it allows in theory more options for everybody and everybody to get better so we'll, we'll see if that's true uh, long term cryptocurrency is vibrant and exciting but it's not without its share of bad actors exchanges and personal accounts can get hacked computers can be infected with malware left unprotected your digital wealth is up for grabs don't let yourself be a victim Keepy is the safest and simplest way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and other tokenized assets. This hardware wallet is a separate device that you control. Brought to you by the pioneering team at Shapeshift, Keepy works with the wallet software on your computer to manage your private keys and transactions. Your device is pen protected, which provides protection if it falls into the wrong hands. Its large display lets you carefully view and approve every transaction. And, if your key is ever lost or stolen, you can safely recover your device without compromising its private keys. The bottom line, you'll sleep easier knowing that your digital wealth is safe and secure. Visit KeepKey.com to order yours today and use the code HUMANIST10 for a limited time 10% discount. By that. So let's let's stay on this kind of venture capital and capital as a system thing. And one thing that I find very interesting with um, Outlier is that you all are, don't have a traditional LP relationship. So, so for example, when I um, I had Gary Tan um, and Kim Mike Cutler on the show recently from Initialize Capital, and um, with them we were talking about venture capital as a system and how uh, it's sad sometimes when a venture capitalist wants to fund something, but they also need to get you know 10x returns so that they can give that to their LPs, and that you kind of have mm-hmm. this incentive system, this kind of layered hierarchical incentive system that's all kind of like LP ROI driven, um, while your incentive system is this interesting new LLP relationship. So could you could you talk a little bit about what is that LLP relationship and what kind of incentives does it bring to your team? An LLP is obviously not necessarily a new corporate structure, but it has certain trade-offs, um, which, you know, it would, yeah, everything in life is a trade-off. So what it tends to mean um, is that an LLP, you can only invest your partner's money and 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 it's a structure that that tends not to be used in in um in venture capital because you you can't go out and raise um raise sort of 300 400 500 million um pounds from institutional investors like pension funds because each partner um is contributing to the to the business so what you do have is you have you know the trade-off is having less money 
but having a group of uh, partners that are all um, aligned, all as uh, your own money. So you have a skin in the game. Um, you therefore don't necessarily have capital holders which are demanding a certain return because to them it's an asset, it's an investment um, and a new asset class for which they, they want to see a return. It means that we as partners at Outlier Ventures if we're aligned, if we're aligned with our mission, if we're aligned in uh, in our views, then we can invest in a project knowing that we're not going to see any return um, in ten years. Or, um, which I think is equally exciting, we can make investments that we may all know will not yield five to ten x, mm-hmm. but. We believe that the the, the project um, or, or the the protocol um, generally has such great potential and so foundational to what is required for this new emerging data ecosystem that we will contribute our time, our capital, and our resource regardless. Uh, and and I think that opens up a whole new range of opportunities that have previously been ignored. And uh, personally, I think that's why this idea of blockchain for good um, is so prevalent and why sort of the Pineapple Fund is a good example. But uh, there are numerous others. I think that's why you can start investing in social uh, philanthropy. You can start investing in, you know, self-sovereign identity projects is, is another good example, right? Self-sovereign identity. Identity is such a fundamental um uh, human right, but also it's uh, to some extent between the physical and the digital worlds. It's it's well, I, I would go as far as to say it's broken. Um, and identity, try and get a if, if you're going to say to a normal um, a normal investor, what what return are you going to get from investing in an identity platform? Well, quite frankly, who knows? But we know that it's so important. There's it's so broken in the existing sort of nation state. Um, uh, system that we want to contribute our time and our resource to um, helping and making that happen. So it kind of opens up new opportunities that might not normally be seen as lucrative opportunities. And it also means when we are investing our resource, um, and by that I mean capital generally, it means that we are, uh, so <laughs> when it's your own money, of course, you, you're obviously a lot more um involved and you want to be more involved so what what what's happened as a function is that we we actually invest you know a reasonable amount of money but in terms of uh, our capital as a resource actually it's our time that really we, we put more into mm-hmm. so we might find with a project that I don't know, 90% of, of all our partners' times are spent in a specific project. Um, so we've invested capital, but then, of course, you know, you might say you're a value-added investor, and everybody does say we add value. But there's no other better way of adding value than when um, it's your own money uh, and you truly believe in the project. Then, of course, you are incentivized to, to give more of your time and more of your resource and more of your capacity. And that's what we find. We find we're no longer constrained really by capital deployments. We're actually constrained by our own time. Yeah. Um, so, so there you go. But then, of course, the trade-off is, you know, there, there's 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 not a 300 million fund, um, and it's probably over time less scalable. Mm-hmm. And so, there's obviously ways in which you can think through ways of raising more money or uh, other ways in which you could partner and and build a larger ecosystem, have a larger impact. 
but uh, but we think that the incentives that we have has, has enabled us to to be part of some really tremendous projects um uh, and of course as we grow that there might be different trade-offs that we make because everything's contextual right yeah yeah that's interesting i think um as you say there might be different kinds of capital structures that might make more sense in five or ten years but as you say right now especially when you're investing on such a long time scale that this kind of uh formation structure is is relatively helpful it reminds me of um a couple things a it reminds me of kind of angel list syndicates or angel investor syndicates where you kind of get together with a bunch of people and say hey we're going to invest our money in these ways it also kind of reminds me of um someone like joseph lubin at consensus where he just has he's essentially a one person llp or whatever and he can mm. invest in these kind of long-term timescales and just invest in lots of, you know, of infrastructure, MetaMask, Truffle, and Fear or whatever, um, <clears throat> knowing that, as you say, that ecosystem, and, and it's both, you can think of it either from, a, and we've, we've chatted about this a bit on the podcast before um, in past episodes, but you can either invest in something because um, just purely for good and invest in infrastructure for good. You can also invest in infrastructure because you know that, that kind of infrastructure is essentially necessary for the other parts of your ecosystem to work. So for you, you know, investing in an identity platform or for, you know, Joe Lubin investing in Uport or Truffle or what have you um, is necessary for the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem to kind of grow or for you, the rest of the convergence ecosystem to kind of actually succeed. Um, and so I think we'll see... Those kinds of, um, it's a new kind of invest, previously we only saw this kind of investing in kind of platforms where platforms would invest in, mm. um, you know, different parts of their platform because then they would get the returns on that capital or whatever. And now we're seeing at kind of a deeper infrastructure level. So I think it's, I think it's good. Um, do you think, <laughs> um, do you think by the way that it is, so when you think of, so you're thinking about stuff on a long-term time scale and, and you don't necessarily need, you can discuss with your partners in a more kind of person to person way about what kind of returns you expect, um, from specific infrastructure. Do you think, are there, is part of that also connected to values or kind of like ideology at all? Um, tell me about that kind of more human piece. Yeah, I think it, I think it has to be. I think um, I think every single individual broadly is motivated by a, by a different things. Uh, I think there are obviously some themes, um, and in any organisation, any structure, you'll find people that are that are motivated um, to different levels by different things. But I think it's definitely true of Outlier, um, Jamie, um, Burke, and, and Aaron, um, the, the the sort of the co-founders. Definitely, there's a motivation there beyond just uh, you know it being a asset class. And I think when they founded the the company four, four or so years ago, um, you know it be uh, it wasn't a new asset class. It was really interesting technology um, that offered new, uh, I'd say, decentralizing potential. And of course, Bitcoin being um, the first and well, still the largest, and maybe um, in the end, maybe the largest. Uh, who knows? But they saw potential for quite a, a game-changing um, power structure technology. And my own uh, journey to this um, is is actually through artificial intelligence. Interestingly enough, um, as a previous sort of career sort of a, a researcher in artificial intelligence um, and it became very clear to me and I, and I guess this would have been four or five years ago now it became very clear that um, the way in which the winner take all um, winner take all effects from from data or the, at least da data network effects and then the winner take all platforms that emerge from that 
have very profound consequences uh, for the consolidation of data, therefore of markets and of profit and power. And uh, that might might sound um, abstract, but I think when once I sort of came to that conclusion mentally, um, I realized that it, it was uh, important that the technologies that we built and the tooling that we built um, took into account the, the, the market and the social um, impacts. And that is where blockchains come in for me. They, they, they come in as a, uh, as a rebalancing technology or as a, a tool to prevent, um, I'd say, the consolidation of power. Um, and that's why I've always had a, quite an abstract view on on this space. Um, for, for again, for good and for bad, um, but always had a view that uh, it's not a specific implementation of blockchain. It's not Bitcoin. It's not Ethereum. Um, and that's not to say I don't love any of those technologies. But it's actually the the broader characteristics of the technology which can act as a um, as a balance to. Uh, and I'll use the word tyranny because I think that's ultimately what I drive at is tyranny is consolidation of power. And tyranny can be um, through government structures in, in sort of a nation state, but tyranny can always uh, can also emerge from, from corporate structures and from corporations. And so that's, th- that is a very explicit political motivation of mine. Um, and I think within the organization, people w- would articulate, a, you know, a, a similar-ish um, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think that whenever we're considering, we're debating new projects, new investments, new partnerships, um, it's always with that lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lens is, you know, th- th- we're not only going to consider projects that are going to offer the best return. We want to make sure that we're investing in infrastructure that is diverse that is considering the implications on society and um, that has a very clear vision um, on what they want to achieve. Uh, and the importance of us of the mission is just as important as um, it is a good investment. Uh, and so, you know, we're attracted by projects like Sovereign and like uh, Ocean. And it's another really good example. I won't run for our whole portfolio, but um, that you'll see um, fr- from all the investments we've made that there's a very, very clear uh, social um, characteristic in the way in which we make our investments. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think that there's a, and and I mean, if you can imagine a founder, like a blockchain founder coming to you and being like, hey, I want to make a lot of money <laughs> by making this thing that's going to just like extract a bunch of rents. And you're like, oh man, I don't know if that is really, and like you want to centralize power. like, And as you say, that would not be value aligned. So that would be a very clear, even if they're building great stuff, it's like, eh, I'm not really sure if, if this should be, if this would be good for the world. Um, I also think that it's interesting that different people come at it, as you said, you came at it from the kind of the AI lens and saying, okay, we have these massive aggregators like Google and Facebook. And if they have these data silos and they get control of those data silos and control over the, how AI operates on that data, then they're going to have lots and lots of power. And that's probably not good for society. Um, I think that perspective is one that people often come into it from. And then the other one is from like a financial perspective, like after 2008, 2009 saying, oh man, we have a fragile financial system. How can we de- decentralize the power in that as well um, and, and stop corruption and stop tyranny there. So I think um, so many people, everybody's different path down the rabbit hole. I feel like they often start, the people who stay, I guess, they're 
pass down the rabbit hole often are based in something like the decentralization of power rather than something just like speculation. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, just to add, uh, add to that, again, it gives a little bit more context behind, I guess, my motivation is even before that, my background is political. Um, and just strangely enough, I did, I, I studied the devolution of power from um, UK parliament to Scotland, to the Scottish parliament. And, devolution of power is just one form of distrib well devolution is one one type of um distribution um tool and sure it's it's not it's not technical it's not technology driven um but it's the same questions right and the same questions whether whether it be 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 just uh, you know parliament um, and the separation of powers you know in in the us or in the uk between the judiciary the legislative and, and the executive and there is a separation of powers for a reason and that's to limit the uh, well the undue um, power of the executive or the king or um, the monarchy and we've built infrastructure we have constitutional furniture that's built and to uh, checks and balances to prevent um you know the consolidation of power and um, especially around the executive um, branch and we have and, and nations have gone through this for 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 you know well gen uh, nations have got you know people have gone through it for millennia but nations have been through it for hundreds of years yeah. and i don't think the questions are any different to what we're asking today and what we say when what goes on chain and what goes off chain and and you know uh, who decides the product um, roadmap update and how are improvement pro uh, pro uh, proposals um, upgraded all of these questions are the same questions they're essentially saying how are we preventing um, individuals from having undue influence or groups or cohorts of people undue influence over a network it is exactly the same question that we've we've struggled with for millennia just with a, with a very technical focus now yeah yeah i agree with that and we have new blockchain has given us new affordances blockchain iot and ai have all given us new affordances and new lenses through which we can answer that question um so i guess to, to kind of wrap up here um there are some projects that you've been excited by recently uh you have here foam you have interledger protocol um but one that i actually don't know very much about which i would love to learn more about is codius could you tell me about what is uh what is codius and why are you excited about it oh yeah, maybe I don't necessarily need to, to, to back up, but rather saying that one of the most interesting areas of mm. uh, one of the most interesting areas of exploration for me is interoperability. Mm. I mean, it's something that we look at at, at um, uh, Outlier a lot, and we're always looking for projects that enable interoperability of you know code or data. Um, and in the case of Codius, uh, it's smart contracts or smart programs, really, and that's. That's pretty much the, the context of it. So again, the reason why I'm excited is because it's it's open source, um, and that's pretty critical to to uh, all of our investments. I think it's it's important that these are seen as projects, and any any code that's built, any tooling that's built, um, can be shared with the world and can be approved upon by anyone. That's pretty critical. And um, but but what I don't want to see in this new sort of stack, the, the Web three stack that we're building, is that we end up with the same data silos that, that we want to, to tear down. So a lot of focus has been on on the sort of the uh, blockchain layer and you sort of have your Cosmos and Polkadots and Aeons that are trying to enable, you know, blockchain to blockchain interoperability and value, mm -hmm. um, value transfer. And that's 
critical and we will need that infrastructure. And to me, there's been a, a neglect on the sort of database interoperability part. And that's where higher networks and um, one of our latest investments out of Berlin, they're focusing on enabling um, databases to, to interoperate. And that's, that's going to be pretty, pretty critical. And their first um, application that is Orbit DB, but, but Codius is the logic layer, right? It's the smart contract layer. So let's say we, we enable databases to be interoperable and data to flow more easily across databases. We have, and lots of interoperability tooling for blockchains. And we could still end up with the same uh, dynamic that we saw with Web2, where the application layer ends up capturing the data and having mm-hmm. outsized influence. And I think there's a risk that that would happen on smart contracts. And that's why I'm really excited what Codius are building, which is you know, interoperable logic, uh, interoperable smart programs or smart contracts to enable the, the application layers to, to share um, execution data. And I think that that's going to be pretty critical component of tooling. And then obviously after that, you ask, well, you know, oracles, how do we make sure oracles are interoperable and decentralized? And mm-hmm. I think that, <laughs> I think the, you, you, you basically, the whole theory is that, that it all, we need to avoid bottlenecks of, uh, uh outsized value capture. Um, and at the moment, the risk is that that happens at the smart, um, uh, smart uh, pro- smart programs, um, but I, I think that with with Codius that that can really help open up open up that, and so that's what I'm really excited about. And and just it's you know really really great technology, which is obviously one of the most important yeah. elements to, uh, to to a lot of the projects that are out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, you can't you can be excited by and then as you're saying this, it's like let's make interoperable protocols all the way down. You know, turn everything into a protocol, turn everything into a pseudo you know commodity of some variety. And as you say, how can we do that also at the smart contract layer? And then as you say, you know, going deeper, what does it look like for oracles, etc. Um, and then in addition to that, like you can have that idea. But then you also clearly need to have the tech that backs up. Uh, how does that actually work? How does how does smart contract, um, you know, interoperability actually actually work there? So um, that sounds exciting. I will I will check it out more. Um, so with that, Lawrence, thank you so much for your time. We're out of time right now, but um, thank you for coming on, chatting about both convergence, um, venture capital kind of incentive structures, and also Codius. Um, where will people be able to find you on Twitter? Well. Very good question. I'm trying to use Twitter less. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I know. I feel that um, <laughs> I'm trying as much as possible to avoid using uh, using social media and try and bring, get some thought time back. But anyway, I am always reachable at, Laura, uh, at Lawrence Lundy on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to, to disengage a little bit, but, but do find me on there um, or um, you can contact me directly through the Outlier Ventures website. It's outlierventures.io. Um, okay, great. Either of those. Um, and I agree with you that uh, we should all probably tweet just a little bit less. Um, so, uh, and if you want to support me, by the way, listeners, you can go to patreon.com slash Rieslandmark. That's patreon.com slash L-I-N or slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Okay, great. Thank you so much, everybody. and Goodbye.